hustlers, road players, tournament champions. Hear the stories, get their advice, learn about their lives. Our host, Joey Ryan, brings you an inside look at the professional pool player. You're listening to the Pool Player Podcast, brought to you by Pool Scene 365. Hello and welcome to the Pool Player Podcast presented by Pool Scene 365. This is Joey Ryan, your host, and today we're really fortunate to have a great guest with us. We have Mitch Ellerman, great player out of Arizona. And uh, just to kind of give an introduction, Mitch has won several large tournaments, uh, one being the 2009 Swanee, which if you're not familiar with that tournament, there's typically close to 200 players in that event. Uh, it's a relatively low entry fee, but with so many players, it's like trying to run through a gauntlet, trying to get the, the victory there. And he won that tournament. Uh, I believe he beat Oscar Dominguez in the finals of that tournament. Uh, he's also the 2008 U.S. Bar Table 8-Ball Champion, which is kind of ironic because we just talked with Mike Davis last week, and Mike Davis uh, was also a Bar Table Championship, uh, won the Bar Table Championship. Uh, Mitch also won the 2011 Seminole Pro Tour event in California, uh, and he's got numerous other tournament victories all throughout uh, really the Southwest. So without further ado, I just want to welcome you to the show, Mitch. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be considered a, a guest. Great. Well, why don't we just jump right in and tell us uh, how did you get started in pool? Like, take us through the beginning. Um, I used to have a bowling league, and uh, so it was the two things between bowling league every Saturday with my brother, and it was a family outing. So when my dad take a smoke break back in the lounge, there was a bar table there, and then my sister owned a bar between 90 and 92. So in 90, I was only four. So all the way to that time, I used to stand on a milk crate and learn to play on a bar table while my dad was cooking back in the kitchen. I started kind of young myself. I started at age five. And, uh, you know, I just think back to those days in the basement, you know, growing up where I got to play and, and hit balls. And it was a, a real uh, easy way to kind of relieve some of the stress and anxiety of growing up. I don't know. Did, did you kind of feel the same way? It, it was a big outlet for me, especially my dad being like, a, you know, after him and my mom had divorced, he was a single parent. He'd have us on the weekends, and sometimes he'd be wanting to work. So we he'd ask us what we'd want to do, and we obviously, when I say we, my older brother and I, we'd uh, go to the rec center and play for hours on in between basketball, ping pong. I mean, and obviously pool is what we spent most of our time doing, but that's how we occupied our time. Yeah. Well, at what age did you decide to get serious about pool, and, and like it just became more than a hobby and you wanted to really try well, I wasn't, the, <laughs> I wasn't the most athletic at the time, or maybe I wasn't uh, ambitious enough to be athletic. So I always uh, kind of like succumbed to fear a little bit uh, being younger. I remember I was always intimidated real easily. Um, so I think that's what was great about playing pool. It was an outlet for what I felt were competitive shortcomings. And it was something that allowed me to perform a skill at a higher level with my own comfort. And it was something I just thoroughly enjoyed, whether it be a chip off the old block from getting it from my dad or being a competitive sense with my brother 
a way of measuring up to him or just, you know, a way to kind of lose myself for an afternoon. Yeah, it sounds like maybe the team sport thing wasn't working out. So the individual sport gave you the opportunity to really strive to, to do something on your own and compete. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, like I said, uh, I remember being a freshman in high school. I even tried out for the football team. I had good hands. I ran a 4-6-40. But I dropped out of it because at that time I was still playing enough tournaments during the week where <laughs> I didn't want to lose whatever cash flow I had coming in as a teenager. So I dropped out of football in fear of getting hurt or anything like that. So. Yeah, I, you know, that's a great story. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing this is to kind of share some of these stories that kind of pop up. And, you know, you think about a high schooler playing football, you know, everybody wants to get the varsity jacket and play football. And you're like, no, I'm making money playing pool during the week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so that, that's, I, I enjoy the game so much. And just the people and the characters and how unique it is compared to other you know, other sports and other, other games. And so that's, that's, I appreciate you sharing that. When, is there a moment that you can look to and say, okay, now I've arrived. Like there was this event. And before this event, I thought I was a pretty good player. After this event, I didn't fear anybody or, you know, I felt like I could beat everybody. It's never that I've not feared anybody because I've always given respect. I always know that there's someone better out there some bigger and badder. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not that, and that way it kind of always kept me hungry, kept me trying, kept me humble. Um, I wouldn't say, I want to say probably, uh, my 18th birthday, I had set a personal goal after winning a tournament at 15 years old down in Tucson. It was called the super seven and under, and that was for our previously known Arizona rating that is pre-Fargo. We had our own rating system. And uh, it was more for like an intermediate and under if you want to classify it. And I went through a field of 128 players. And after that, I went home on an old notebook divider because I couldn't find a sheet of paper, ironically enough. And uh, I thumbtacked it to my ceiling. I saw it every day for three years saying I wanted to be a certain rating by my 18th birthday. And on my 18th birthday, my dad got the phone call up at River City, which is the pool room that I had grown up at, and they said that I had got bombed, and I, I, I made my goal. That's excellent. You know, because so that's kind of a, my first real achievement, if you could say that one stuck out, that, that would be it. That's awesome. And, you know, when I moved to Arizona, Arizona I was shocked that – there was this rating system, right? Uh, for the entire state, every single yeah. player in the whole state had a rating. And I'm like, how'd you ever pull that off in Arizona? <laughs> you know, it's like if somebody popped into town and they weren't known and they weren't rated, it was like, they had to did, give up their driver's license if they wanted to play a tournament. Exactly. You know, so it's kind of cool. And I love the fact that you made a goal for yourself and you strive towards it. And I think that oftentimes what we see, uh, at least what we've seen lately in the United States with pool is, you know, there's not as many people who are driven to set those goals and strive for them uh, the same way like the Europeans do. And some of the, some of the people in Asia, you know, where there seems to be more of a. Pool in America, pool in Europe and Asia, it's two different things. Yeah. Uh, first and 
please, this is my opinion on something. I'm not saying I'm an international traveler. I'm not saying I've been to the Philippines. I'm not saying I've been to China. I've only been to Russia, the Netherlands for a year event. And I would say that it, it varies culture to culture. And us as Americans, we don't treat it like a job and we should, or very few do. And you know, look at me, you can see the double chin. Like I, I worked hard on the pool table for a lot of years and I took my age for granted and the ability of working off the table. So similar to, and I, I kind of know this because I pay attention and we talk occasionally. If you pay attention to Shane, how he wears the Nike fitted polo, just like Tiger. And then Tiger started going to the gym. He started going to the gym. And that was kind of his mentor who he looked up to as far as personifying a great work ethic and performing at a very high level. So if you step back and look at, you know, outside America, everybody practices real hard and they also work hard off the table. And that's something I took for granted myself. If that was one thing that I could go back that I'm trying to change currently even though, you know, during this pandemic and whatnot, there's been a stop to a whole lot of competitive pool. It uh, has kind of opened my eyes about not just pool, but life, you know, uh, if you don't fight for it, who will? So, Yeah, no, I, that sounds like great advice. And especially for those that are aspiring to be competitive players. And I was actually going to lead into that and ask about some advice for players that wanted to take it to the next level, but also those players that are just trying to get better. You know, they, they know they'll never be Mitch Ellerman, but they want to get better. Is, is there one piece of advice that you could give somebody who, you know, to use Arizona ratings terms is an eight and wants to be a nine, or, you know, maybe they're a 600 Fargo. They want to make it to 650. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, one of the things that I paid attention to when my learning curve was very high as a teenager. So, Obviously, I was still a student in high school, so my game would jump per the summertime because now instead of playing four hours a day, go home, do homework, it's play 12 hours a day, go home, sleep six hours, go play 16 hours and whatever. It was just nonstop. So your, your game continuously went through these peaks and valleys. For me, it was, okay, spring break, my game shot up. Winter break, my game shot up. Summertime, forget about it. Yeah. And then other times you just kind of do things to maintain. So as an adult working individual, you know, you're wanting to compete at a certain level and improve the people I don't get is like, uh, you know, society, like I got, we all have electronics. We could be glued into our phone, pay attention to the data that's going across the table. You know, it's like the matrix. You just sit there and read it yeah. and read it. And, and there's all that information that somebody, even if you're not doing it, they're putting it down on that sheet of paper called the pool table. Pay attention, take it in, learn something, even while you're not shooting the ball. And that's something I felt like I, I did very well as a kid and uh, always paid attention to my opponents looking for something to improve my pool game. I love that advice. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard it and I've repeated it so many times it might as well be. But I heard that uh, Efren Reyes, somebody asked him one time, you know, how do you come up with these creative shots going multiple rails? And apparently what he said is that he goes into a pool hall and he watches bad players just beat balls <laughs> around a table and sees the way they react because good players don't ever do that stuff, right? So exactly. he was able to find some creative ways to do it just by watching bad players. And if, you know, the best, arguably one of the best players of our lifetime, 
you know, maybe the best ever is learning something from a guy like me or even a guy that doesn't play my speed. I mean, that's pretty cool. It, it, it really shows what you just said, which is you can learn something every time you look at the table. And, you know, I think that's great advice. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. What are your interests outside of pool? Is there something that you do or maybe you're talented at or something that you enjoy that people don't know and, and uh, might be interesting? I thoroughly enjoy music. I can't play it. I can't sing it, but I enjoy it. Uh, all genres. Uh, the only one I have a real hard time with is all the different uh, genres of metal, but anybody sees me in any pool room, I promise you I've been to the jukebox at least once. Okay. And it's just, uh, something I kind of got from my dad growing up. We'd always go on a drive and he'd have me listening to 94.5. That used to be the oldie station here when they played fifties and sixties music. And uh, he'd have a Mustang convertible when I was a kid and we'd go at the top down and just listen to music. And those were the good times. And I still catch myself just going for a drive now, even though gas is almost $3 a gallon. It's just what I like to do. Are you a singer or is it like singing the shower? I used to sing, I used to sing but uh, now my blender is broken. So it's just kind of, <laughs> I mumble the word. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> So uh, switching back to pool, you know, one of the things that I had heard about you before I moved to Arizona and folks had said that you were a great player. And I was really impressed with the way you carried yourself around the table um, and just how silky smooth you are when you're in gear. You know, it's like there's certain players you can watch and they just have a flow to their game. That's really like poetry. Um, is there anybody that jumps out for you that you just enjoy really watching? I mean, as far as, like, it's never a dull moment, I think anybody would say they like to see Alex Pagaline just because he's a hoot, he's a good time, he's always in a positive mood, even if he's stuck gambling, tournament, he's very critical of himself. Um, another person that always plays really uh, kind of in tune and at their own pace is Francisco Bustamante. I mean, he's got a certain swagger at with that stroke and the way he, he times the ball and he just makes it look effortless some days. Yeah. I love his, you know, both Filipinos, although Alex is Canadian, you know, but um, you know, one thing I noticed that when I used to live in Maryland, these players would come through that area for the U S open in Chesapeake. And, you know, I played uh, on Dom a couple times. I played uh, a, a few of the great Filipino players as they came through town. And one thing I noticed is how effortlessly they move the cue ball, right? If yeah. they have to go three or four rails, you know, they're hitting the ball half the speed that I would hit it to go three or four rails. You know, and it was just like mesmerizing to me to watch them. They just hit with such a pure stroke. And I think that way, when I think about Bustamante and, you know, Andam, you know, I know he's passed away now. And, you know, those great players, uh, Ramil Gallego, I'm not sure if you've ever played him. I've played him, yes. Okay, yeah. So switching back, like, let me ask you this. Um, who's the biggest character that you know from the pool world? Like just somebody who's just a, a character. I mean, I, I guess you said Alex for player that you enjoy watching. And, you know, I, I remember seeing Alex out at Valley Forge in his younger years and he was a character, you know, but who would you say is one of the biggest characters? I have recently uh, moved back from Las Vegas and in the past three years, 
granted, they may not be premier players, but the two that stick out is the <laughs> poker player John Robert Ballon and Tedder from Boaz, Alabama. They've been betting so high and getting crazy, and it's just never a dull moment when you're in the room watching them. And, and I know Tedder had moved there just specifically to play John Robert. So it was always kind of funny to see how things had transpired, especially like within the past year, the amount of number, uh, the big figures that have been exchanged in the past like eight to 12 months, it's been ridiculous. You know, I wanted to ask you about that because, you know, living in Vegas and, you know, Vegas is hot, you know, it's really hot right now for pool. And, you know, somebody was, uh, I think it was Chris Adams was telling me he was up there you know, about a month ago. And he's like, man, there's champions everywhere and they're gambling and betting everything. And what was it like living up there and kind of being in amongst that? It was uh, a little surreal as far as being able to have the opportunity to make a score. Any given day, somebody's losing 20,000. Wow. And that's not an exaggerated figure. Really? And, and there were, there was like a month stretch where the first four tables, or at least three out of the four, had at least $2,000 or higher bet on it all day, every day. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, it, it was pretty staggering. And uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to throw more names out there. I mean, if you've been there or whatnot, but it's just been like, I had never played for more than $3,000. I played a 10 ahead set a long time ago at River City Pockets. And uh, I won the first set, lost the second set. And uh, that was a learning experience in itself. And then uh, the second I get to Vegas, I lose a bit, little bit on my own dough, lose a little bit on my own dough that first like six months I was there. And then after that, I started getting in stroke and realizing that, you know, I needed to practice a little bit harder if I was going to be playing. But I had played plenty of sets for 5,000, a few sets for 10,000, 2,500 a game, one pocket. Uh, twenty and thirty thousand dollar sets of one pocket, so that was pretty surreal and uh, eye opening. You want to talk about nerves, man? Whew. Yeah, that was definitely uh, a, a new peak and valley uh, that I hit while I was there. That'll put the heat on you, right? <laughs> Playing for twenty thousand. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you this: Who would you say? You know, I I love this term, arch nemesis. You know, who is like the one person that? you've gone up against maybe the most or had the most difficult time with, or just, you know, continually uh, ended up meeting up with them and, and playing against them. Uh, I would say Shane, he seems to own my soul. Every time we play, I think I've beat him once in tournament play between him and Alex. And uh, it's almost like I give him too much respect and I start diminishing myself. So that's the borderline where, some people have a little bit more ego and they talk themselves into it, but I'm, I'm just trying to always stay like humble and real. But at that same time, you have to believe in yourself because if you don't, who will like nobody's going to make the ball for you when it comes down to a tournament match. So you either get busy living or get busy dying. So those are things that uh, I realized I was able to play from a sponsorship, a previous sponsorship I had at the uh, electrical company I was working at at the time. And I got to play pool for a year. And that's when they had me uh, try out for the Moscone Cup. And I made like the 16, the final eight. And then I, I missed the final cup for December. But I learned a lot of things that year about myself, about uh, 
my surroundings and work ethic on the table, off the table. Um, so it was, it was a very eye-opening experience and I'm very fortunate to have had it. Yeah. Well, there's definitely no shame in those names being somebody who's had your number, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not like some schmo down the street. You're talking about the best players. Yeah, the no, yeah, they're, they play all right. Yeah, <laughs> sure do. Uh, let me, uh, this is kind of a, uh, you know, I, I just want to throw this one out there. I just thought of it, but uh, you know, if there's one player that you wouldn't mind matching up with, you know, to really test yourself and challenge yourself, you know, you mentioned playing in Vegas for 20 grand or 10 grand, you know, let's say, uh, you know, somebody came out and say, hey, Mitch, you know, here's 50 grand, you know, get on one of these race to a hundred matches with somebody. Who would that be? Man, I don't know. That's a tough one. It really is. It's a tough one because it's like you want it to be close, obviously, for the sake of winning, but I'm not trying to uh, – I don't know. I know that uh, John Mora and I have had some battles with us both living in Vegas. I think that would probably be a pretty good match. Yeah. I know he's probably a hair favorite playing rotation, but I'd be all right with it. Yeah, and he's playing left-handed now, right? Yeah, he is. And that just says a lot about his dedication and his ability, his commitment. I mean, the guy is able to play world-class right-handed and then, you know, okay, guys, I'm going to pull a stall on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then switch hands and just still be able to do it. That says something about Who him. does that? I mean, that's that's insane, <laughs> right? I mean, the, to even have that thought. You know, like if I injured my right arm and I couldn't move it in that direction, uh, I would just say, you know, I got, I better find like some other thing to do, you know, because <laughs> there's no way I'm going to play pool at the level I play right-handed, left-handed. I mean, it's just insane to even think that way. And not only has he done it, he's competitive that way. No, that's what I mean is he's still been able to play world-class left-handed as well as right. I mean, it, it says a lot about him. Yeah. Well, maybe, uh, maybe John and you can make that match happen. That'd be kind of cool. I wasn't trying to put you on the spot. <laughs> so let me ask you this, um, it, you know, for the folks listening, one of the, you know, I, I want this podcast to be a way for, you know, people to get to know you, which I think, you know, so far your answers have been great. And I think people are going to get to know a different side of you. Um, but I also want it to be helpful to folks in terms of like, what's some good advice? And we've already had at least one question like that. But when you're at the table and you're facing adversity, you know, maybe you're down in a race to nine, like seven to four, or, you know, maybe you're, you know, you're right in a tough match against a tough player and you break and park the cue ball right in the middle of the table and something kicks it in. And now you're down, you know, two games or something how do you deal with adversity and what's your recommendation to people in terms of mindset? There was an old analogy I was told, you know, we got two wolves inside of us, a good one and a bad one. And how do you know which one wins? The one that you feed more. So you can feed yourself more good thoughts, you know, and then you're just power of positivity going to will yourself through it. I mean, yeah. I would like to think anytime that I'm allowed back at a table, you know, I'm a threat. Yeah. So, you, so you're sitting in, you're one of the guys that you're sitting in the chair, you're down six to one, and you're not thinking about, you know, the fact that you got to come back and, and win six, seven games in a row. You just know if you get a shot, that's possible. Right? Win one. Win one. one you got to win one. You can't win six at a time. You just got to win one at a time. Doesn't matter if you break, run the rack, break, combo, make a ball, win the game. 
kick, free foul. You just got to win that first game. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's really good advice coming from you because, you know, what I've noticed in, you know, I haven't seen you play a ton, but the times I have seen you play, you seem to keep your cool pretty, pretty well at the table. Would you agree with that? I would like to think so. I know as I've gotten a little bit older, it's worn on me a little bit more because I've become more knowledgeable. So I guess you could say I, I view the game at a higher level and I know when things should or shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I played a great match, uh, U.S. Open last year, um, made a sweet jump shot that made some highlight reels for Predator against David Alcade after he won the Whirlpool Masters. But just the next day, I get my butt whooped by Simeon Chen from China, and she just, you know, no, Mitch, have a nice day. You know, <laughs> <laughs> She can play, no doubt. Ask Donnie Mills. <laughs> the, the thing that uh, I took away from that is there was a gentleman, I'm not going to mention his name, but he was nice enough to reach out to me and say, you know what, I really appreciate your sportsmanship because you can see it. I'm sitting there tapping my cue on the floor whenever she makes a good shot, you know, and I'm taking my lickings like a champ. And, uh, you know, I, I loved her intensity her her fierceness of being in the moment at the table and that was something that kind of reminded me of like whoa I need to be like that you know so it kind of opened my eyes at the same time as she you know tortured me 11 to 3 and it was just helpful because not only was it humbling but at the same time it lets me know you know you can do more yeah and that's what she does yeah. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you have to just tip your hat. You know, somebody just plays a great set on you and, you know, you got to congratulate them and move on and just improve from it. You know, I, one time I, I shared this story not too long ago that I was playing John Schmidt and I don't know what happened. I think he hadn't woken up yet, but I'm up eight to nothing on him. Right. That's never supposed to happen, by the way. <laughs> and so I'm beating him eight to nothing. So I just automatically start thinking, oh, I'm just going to I'm just going to win this set. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to beat John Schmidt and it's a race to nine. And sure enough, John just woke up and he said, forget it. I think I kicked twice from there and ended up losing nine to eight, you know? And it's like, yeah. yeah. And, and so afterwards now, you know, maybe I could have kicked better, but afterwards I went up to John and I was just like, man, that was just amazing. You know, I was pissed, you know, cause I wanted to win, but you know, I had to tip my hat, you know, same way you had to do with some, some men. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, interesting stories from the road. Anything interesting that kind of jumps out from maybe being in a pool hall or, you know, just any funny stories that might entertain somebody? Um, you know, there, there's been a lot of them. Some but I mean, talk about maybe. <laughs> yeah, some, some were just better left unsaid. Uh, <laughs> There's all these stories. Anytime you're in a pool room, somebody's going to bring them up or whatnot. Me personally, I haven't had too much crazy stuff happen. Uh, you know, because normally if I'm on the road, it's to go play a tournament, and I, I, that's about it. So mine's kind of dull, with the exception of, you know, some of the things that have gone on in Vegas as of late, because every day there is crazy. Yeah. I mean, I just wish I could have been there for some of that, you know, and it's still going <laughs> on. I mean, you know, oh, yeah, they're still playing. Yeah. It, so didn't it all start with Dippy, Dippy Dave? Uh, the poker that player? was years back, yeah. He yeah. Uh, showed an interest in it, and a lot of the pool players had come there to get their uh, 
hands dirty, so to speak, and now there's a you know a resurrection between you know JRB doing his thing. So more poker players have gotten involved, and not only that, but like uh, formidable name Nick Schulman, John Hennigan, uh, they've gotten in the mix. So not only are they high stakes pool or uh, poker players, but they actually are well versed in pool. They play a little bit better than uh, you might give them credit for, and uh, yeah. So I mean, now it's uh, there's always the ability to. Uh, you know, when somebody, oh, high roll, oh, I don't want to play. Let's play for 20000 Well, the ability to say yes is a lot more common now <laughs> than maybe you yeah. go. So. Well, you know, what I gather from my question about have you seen anything crazy in pool rooms and you went back to Vegas, but you didn't tell too much, you know, it goes back to the old adage, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So I guess you're telling people they got to go out there to see. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because at the same time, I mean, I don't know all these guys. I don't have their phone numbers and I'm not trying to put anybody. Me personally, I know that the twenty dollars and $30,000 set I played was against Nick Schulman and John Hennigan in a doubles game with my state course. Oh, wow. And uh, we lost the first set for 20000 and we were fortunate to steal the next set for 30 and and we were even in games they beat us hill hill the first set we beat them hill hill the next set yeah so and since then we haven't played but yeah. that was uh you know that was the one crazy time because i was shooting a wing shot with the cue ball just past the head string before the side pocket on the first diamond and the object ball at one and one outside the corner pocket on the foot of the table. And I butchered it, just hit it thick. I was like sitting there, hand shaking, head down. And I just jumped up like, so it was one of those things where I had to calm myself down. Yeah. Mitch, I think I'm a little older than you, but I remember when I was growing up and I would watch pool matches on television, ESPN, Nick Varner, yeah, Mike Siegel, guys like that. Back when they used to play on old Conley tables. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously things have changed, right? And I think there's a lot of people in this country that are a little frustrated with the state of pool, me being one of them. And one of the reasons I'm doing this is really try to make a difference, right? Because we can be frustrated all we want, but if we're not going to do anything about it, nothing's really going to change. So I figure, you know, let me try to do my part and expose the general public to people like yourself, top players, and kind of you see what they're all about and see if we can do something to kind of promote the game. Do you have any ideas for maybe bringing professional pool back to the United States? Obviously there are professionals in the United States, but there's not a tour. There's not a circuit. Have you given much thought to that or? If there's a tour that we should follow as many pool players that like to play recreationally should follow golf. Now, if you want my, Again, this is just my two cents. Take it for what it's worth. I'm a guy, Joe Schmo, don't own a business. Just hold the cue decent from now and again. But, uh, you know, you have these big, large entities, Coke, Pepsi, uh, Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch, whatever, Red Bull. I mean, Red Bull was the first one to get into extreme sports at the X Games and whatnot. Yeah. The relativity of their budget when it comes to advertising dollars and what they can allot to write off or at least dispersed in a manner they see fit is, is life-changing in pool. Now to have a board that allocates it in a manner 
that is appropriate for players, tours, advertising, et cetera, et cetera, I think is on the verge. I think it's close. And then you have the overall steam that it has from the stereotype. I know I, I play poker occasionally, and I'm not the only pool player to do it. So when I sit there and shoot the breeze with a random person, I say, oh, yeah, I play pool. Immediate stereotype, oh, you're a shark, you're a hustler. It's, it's got a bad stigma attached to it. Yeah. So in order for the consumer, i.e. Joe Schmo, whoever it is, I mean, it's tough. Like, you and I, we're both players. We appreciate good pool, but it's tough to fade one pocket sometimes. You'll be like, you know what I mean, depending yeah, yeah. on you just catch yourself not. So in order to make it palatable for the consumer and beneficial for the sponsors and everybody involved, I think it's, it's going to take a valiant group effort, not just one individual to, boom, change it. I think uh, a tour, some regulations, standards, and not only that, but just pool players coming together and marketing, uh, pushing their product, pushing their industry, you know, not helping a guy out that needs a cue and then I know a guy, I know. that's the start, but I mean, really getting organized, have a set up website. If you're, if you have a subscription to that website, you know, the website makes advertising dollars, the consumer gets discounts, and not only that, but then they're involved with the network. If they want a table, they can look through the, the page, click on a link, and boom, there's a table in their area. Boom, there's a table mechanic in their area. There's a guy that does tip work in your area, or two or three or four. And something like that is just a start as to something a little bit bigger that feeds into that pro tour, so to speak, all the way from why can't there be programs in schools and, and clean up the style of the game to where you can teach geometry, you can teach physics, and, uh, you know, you kind of give people like me who felt like they might not have had a very large athletic presence or maybe a little apprehensive like I was. So they have this new outlet, and you can turn a negative into a positive, but it all starts from – how the consumer uh, portrays it, how they see it. And again, that's just my opinion. I would love to think that, you know, I help make it look presentable in a sense, and I, I leave a little bit of respect to it to where people can appreciate it. Yeah, no, that's, those are all really good ideas. And I appreciate that. And I think what I heard you say, if I could kind of summarize uh, at least one part of that, is that there needs to be collaboration, right? So I think there's so many people in the industry right now that have kind of thrown their hands up a little bit, you know, and there's a lot of frustration. And if, if we found a way to start kind of creating a spider web, you know, of working together and promoting the players, promoting and the, the industry and the sponsors and, you know, you know a guy, I know a guy, well, let's get those people and let's talk to them about it. And let's say, hey, let's get behind this, right? We can do some cool things if we stick together and we really try to grow the game because there's people like, I'm never going to be a professional. You know, I'm 48 now and I played, I'm a good amateur, you know, but I love this game. I'm passionate about this game. And you know what? I'm putting a lot of time and energy into this right now. And I'm super excited about it, you know? And there's a lot of people like me out there that, you know, I'm never going to play like Mitch Ellerman. 
but I can do what I do my part and try to try to contribute. So, you know, hopefully we can get there. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you this. Uh, what's your highest high and your lowest low? Uh, it, my first interview on here was with Mike Davis and afterwards he said, you know, that's a good question to ask people. So if you don't like that question, blame him. <laughs> highest high. For yeah. Me, talking about from your pool career. Being asked to play for team USA, even though I didn't make that final cut two years ago in 2018, because it's not an Olympic sport. So for me, even being asked to represent, you know, a country for something that I've given my life to because in my pursuit of being better at something and challenging myself, it was like the highest honor for me. Like, don't get me wrong. I've won tournaments. I've, be, I've been through fields undefeated. And yeah, yeah, it was great at the moment. But the ability to travel and represent my country in a professional manner in a game that I love was like uh, – the biggest hint of respect I could have and appreciation for my career thus far. My lowest point was probably on a car ride to New River to visit my brother with my father. And I got so upset at something my dad had said, I took my pool cue and threw it out the window while we were going on the highway. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. To kind of like prove a point. No kidding. I thought you were going to say your lowest low was when you didn't get selected out of the final. No, no, because it was a very You were so close. You know, it was a very good experience and we ended up winning. So, I mean, you know, yeah. how can you be mad at that? I'm behind oh, no. you. You were, you were part of that, right? You helped, yeah. you know, get the team ready for that. And, you know, everybody here in Arizona, I know, was pulling for you. Yeah. <laughs> We were, yeah. we were, you know, I, we were, lost the love. I, yeah. And you know, I meant to say this earlier, but that's true. You know, you're back in Arizona and you're so willing to talk to me and set this up, but then you're also busy because everybody missed you, you know, and, <laughs> and, you know, I, I see you and the people that you're friends with here. If you go to a lot of cities, a lot of the best players are only friends with the best players, you know, and, and I don't see that with you. I see you hanging out with all skill levels of players and you've had these deep friendships here. And it's like the minute that you move back, everybody was like, Mitch is here, you know, party time, you know, let's go hiking. Let's go here. You know? So I think that's really cool. You know? So uh, I mean, I try and treat people the way that they treat me. And fortunately, um, I had a good upbringing between my mother and my father. And I was very, don't get me wrong. I've burned some bridges. I have learned some things the hard way, 100%. But I have also tried to recognize that. I have tried to make good on those mistakes. And I have tried to be honest, upfront, and forthcoming and moving forward as I've gotten older. So a lot of people, oh, Mitch, come over. We're having a barbecue. Or, oh, hey, you want to go hiking? Or all that. It's been wonderful. And I thoroughly enjoy it because we're not here for a long time. I might not be the richest guy ever, but I'll tell you what, I'm very blessed to have the people in my life and all through majority of meeting through playing pool, believe it or not. So yeah. pool has brought me international travel. It's brought me the opportunity to play for my country, even though it might've been very brief, it meant something to me. And I, I've been 
very, very blessed to have the network that I have, meet the people that I have. And uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate. Yeah. You know, pool to me, pool, the great thing, like you said before, it has a negative stigma, right? But, yeah. but the reality of pool is that it's a, it, it's a common bond for a lot of people, right? So when I moved to different states, I lived in Florida, I lived in Virginia, Maryland, DC, I lived in Colorado, and now Arizona. And each time that I moved to a different place, I got instantly accepted by the pool community, right? Because we had that common bond. We loved yeah, a game. With common pool. denominator. Oh, you like pool me too, buddy. Yeah, and there's great people. And, you know, I love the fact that I, I play in a tournament. The, the first person I play, you know, that person could be, you know, have slept in their car last night. And, you know, seriously, and they're somebody you wouldn't typically talk to just because you don't run cross paths with them, right? And then the next person you play might be a millionaire, you know? And so it gives you this real diverse set of people that you interact with. And it, like you've now created so many friendships from that. And so have I. So I think that's a great thing. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I said, it's uh, brought a lot of highs and good things in my life. So I'm very fortunate. Yeah. Do you have uh, sponsors now, Mitch, and anybody you want? I'm sponsored to by Predator Cues and uh, Ariel Carmelli Cues. Excellent. So I play with uh, Ariel Carmelli Custom Butt and uh, Predator 12.9 Revo Shaft. Okay. And I break with the BK Rush that's from Predator and the Predator Air 2. Excellent. And so uh, how hard was it to adjust to the Revo? Um, it took a little bit of time, and a lot of it is uh, like my nuisance of being like a pool nerd. I mean, like all of us that play a little bit higher level, you have to, it's like getting a new set of clubs. You got to see how far you can hit them, you know, the most you can get with them, the touch that you develop with them. Yeah. So I kind of took the same thing from golf and just trying, oh, why you move your cue ball five rails? Well, I'm seeing if I ever need a breakout to go four rails and reach down in my bag of tricks, it's there. So I'm kind of just testing it and uh, pushing the envelope, so to speak. So I know that if it ever reoccurs, uh, I can at least have something to revert back to in order to execute the shot. Yeah. So what's next for you in your pool journey? Do you have long-term and short-term goals or are you kind of... You know, I haven't set, we mentioned the goals earlier. I mean, eventually it would be getting on Team USA for the Moscone Cup, but, you know, I'm not in contention and with the pandemic going on and the tournaments, you know, hopefully they're able to play in England this year. I believe it's in England this year. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that is able to take place. Um, you know, kudos to Matchroom for being the entity that it is and putting on the display and making it what it is, uh, per whether it's the U S open that they took over. Um, or, you know, the Moscone Cup itself. I mean, they definitely make it a spectacle and it's awesome to be a part of. Yeah, it's funny because as I was researching for this interview and a few others that I'm doing, you know, there's all kinds of matches on YouTube and you can go and watch them. Some have commentating, some don't, you know, and I remember showing uh, my wife some of the matches, which she's gotten really into it. And I'm like, this is great. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we saw one up on the screen and it said Moscone Cup. And she's like, what's that? And I was like, what? 
You don't know what that is? Check it out. And I put it up there and she watched it for five hours. I'm not kidding. She watched it for five hours because she's like, this is what pole needs. It's amazing. They're yelling and screaming. And, and I'm like, yeah. well, that's because it's in England, you know, but when it comes back, <laughs> we're, a little, we're a little more reserved over here, but she's right. You know, they do an amazing job at Matchroom of making an exciting spectacle, really. And j there's just so much riding on the, I mean, the short race is the five. I mean, come on, that's like flipping coins with players at this level, but it yeah, makes but so I mean, much intrigue, kind of, you know? That's kind of the, the point, the urgency. Exactly. Kind of yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's so she's like, this is what, you know, when I go to your, you know, watch you in a tournament or I, I see this match on TV, this is what it's missing. We need more of this. And so, uh, yeah. yeah, but let me ask you, uh, who, if you had to pick, who would you like to see me interview on the show, kind of sit through what you just sat through? Um, Oscar Dominguez would be a who. Okay. Uh, let's see. Who else? Any, anything I need to ask Oscar? No, just probably. I, I'd be curious to see what he feels his high highest point is and his lowest point is. Yeah, that's a tough question. So don't worry, um, I'll ask everybody that. <laughs> um, let's see. Who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, Billy Thorpe would be awesome. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that. Just, you know, country boy can't survive. That's his motto. And uh, <laughs> I think it would be fun. Okay. Uh, Brandon Chuff is like a brother from another mother that I don't get to see much from where you were at originally. Yeah. He's a good, good cat and ambassador for pool. So I'm already talking to a couple of those guys. So yeah. stay tuned and, and you'll get to check that out. But, uh, you know, Mitch, awesome. any – any final thoughts or anything that you want people to know about you or uh, just anything to kind of leave the, the audience with? Um, everybody, you know, with, and, and this is just how I feel about society in general. Think twice before you say something negative. Just, just try and be positive. You know, if you don't have something nice to say, simple, don't say it. Like, what's it really going to do? And, and if we spent more time building each other up, I mean, who knows how, how high we could go. I love that. Uh, just, again, my two cents. I love that. Well, Mitch, I can't thank you enough. I know that this week was tough for you. You're preparing for a really difficult match on Saturday. Yeah, you got that right. <laughs> uh, for the viewers, uh, Mitch is playing me on Saturday. And uh, so, you know, I think I was just joking, you know. Uh, but it should be a fun match. It's an eight ball match and uh, we're going to have a good time with it. And I'm a heavy underdog, really heavy, but uh, no, I'm the heavy one. You're just, <laughs> uh, I'm a big underdog. I'm a real big underdog, but uh, Mitch, I, I want to thank you again. This has been such a great episode. And I think the advice that you gave and really just the stuff about a positive attitude and, you know, the, the, two wolves. I mean, there's so much good content here that I think is going to help a lot of people. And it's also going to let people know a little bit about who you are, which I think is great because you're, you're a wonderful player and you're a great person. So thank you so much. I try to be. Thank you. I appreciate being on. Yeah.